All right, turn with me in your Bible to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14. <clears throat> well, it's not all bad news. Uh, we, there's a war going on in the Ukraine. That's, that's bad news. The economy is, is uh, suffering. That's bad news. Gas is out of sight. That's bad news. <clears throat> and the time changed. That's bad news, too, because <laughs> we had to lose, lose some sleep there last night. So yeah, if I yawn this morning while I'm preaching, you'll, you'll be for forgiving, I hope. <clears throat> I've done worse things up here <laughs> than, yawn, than yawn while I'm trying to bring a sermon. Now, the good news is, how many of you think we had in Sunday school this morning? Last Sunday we had 121. The time changed, and you had to get up an hour early, and you came to church an hour early, and we had 119. So let's celebrate and give thanks to God. I rely on our Sunday school secretary, uh, Aunt Betty, to give us those figures. So I ran back there a while ago and said, how many do we have? 119. I went, yay! This is great. Congratulations, all the Ekronites. All right, Matthew chapter 14. Now, today's passage is a little bit more sober than what I've been preaching from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew doesn't whitewash the truth. He tells the truth because we need the truth. The truth is healing. Uh, the truth brings hope. The truth guides us and gives us confidence. And uh, one thing I, I keep hearing over and over again, one of the great needs of our time is for courage. We need courage. We need courage to deal with the issues of our personal life and the, and the issues of the world as well. To do the right thing and to do what honors the Lord, what will bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. The name of Jesus, that it be glorified. Jesus is the truth. I am the way, the what? Truth and the life. And we need courage to live in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is not a day and an hour and a time where we need to be bashful about Jesus. We need to be people of courage. Which kind of reminded me of the Wizard of Oz. My, my favorite character in the Wizard of Oz is that lion. And I love the way he would say that word. I need some courage, you know. I need some courage. And I'm kind of that way too. Are you? There's a lot of things I've had to deal with in the last few years that I've never had to deal with before. And God has pulled me along with His grace and said, You can do this. We can do this together. And I remember hearing the Apostle Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I pray that's where we end up in today's message. We're going to talk about how to grow in confident courage. How to grow in confident courage. I'm not an expert at courage, but God is. <laughs> Jesus is. And it's to Jesus that I point you today that you might grow in courage. Uh, I'm going to read beginning in verse 1 through verse 14. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the news about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. And that's why miracles or miraculous powers, rather, are at work in him. Now, at this point, Matthew does a throwback. You heard of Throwback Thursday? All right, we've we got, we got a throwback here to help us understand why Herod was so confused about Jesus. 
For when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. Uh, Herod had taken his brother's wife and uh, doing evil things. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Now here we have a prophet who has nothing in the world except the word of God, a word from the Lord. He's eating locust and wild honey. His, he doesn't have even a, uh, a house to live in. He's just from place to place, wherever people are hospitable to him. And he's speaking truth to power. Now, if there ever was a picture of the church, it's John the Baptist here. The church needs to speak truth to power. Because power will not speak truth to power. Uh, power will use power to get its own results and its own profit. But we are the people of God with a word from the Lord, like John the Baptist, and he spoke truth to power. That's the role of the church. The church should never get so intertwined with a, with a political party that we can't speak truth to power. told you it was going to be sober today. For it's not lawful for you to have her. And although Herod wanted to put him to death, Herod feared the crowd because they regarded John as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Now this banquet that he's holding, this birthday party or whatever it is, is, a, is an act of debauchery. And uh, no different from what uh, you see or read about taking place in the, in the parties that are taking place in the debauchery times that we live in today. We are people who love the world, we love our flesh, and we love uh, the things that are, that are in the world. And uh, we have become so hedonistic hedonistic in our society that the whole goal of some people is to uh, please themselves with pleasure and that's what Herod was doing here and in his drunkenness uh, he pledged whatever um, would please his daughter there uh, what, what, whatever would please her he was willing to give now it says in verse 8 Having been prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. So she and her mom had had some conversations behind the curtains there before dinner began or before the party began about someone she wanted to get rid of, and he was the one that spoke truth in her presence, and she wanted his head in a basket or on a platter. Although he was grieved, that's the king, he commanded it to be given because of his oath. You know, when the king said something, he never backed down because that would, that would show weakness on his part. And because he'd given the oath and because of the dinner guests that he was there, because of his own reputation, he was trying to save his own heathenistic reputation, he sent and had John beheaded in prison. There's a period here in the Greek text because there is a pause and the pause is, there's a price to be paid for speaking the truth. 
You can have anything you want in this life within reason, but you can't have everything. And what you decide you want in life, there's a price to be paid. And Jesus said of John the Baptist, there wasn't a greater man who's ever lived than John the Baptist. Because he spoke the word of God, they knew each other as kids. They grew up together. They were, they were cousins. They were, um, uh, grew up together, knew each other well. But because John was the humblest of men that walked, did not even deserve to wash the feet of Jesus. Um, Jesus asked him to baptize him. And John said, no, not me, Lord. I'm not worthy to do that. But Jesus would say of John, not a greater man has lived than this humble man, John, who spoke the truth. And this pause here in, in the Greek text causes us to think about what price have we paid to follow Jesus? What does it cost me to follow Christ? Uh, the Apostle Paul lost his head. John lost his head. Um, I wonder what I've suffered for the gospel. Probably not much. Probably not not much. And I think of our Ukrainian brethren, the brothers and sisters in Christ who are paying that price of staying where they are. I think about the seminary over there. I think about the missionaries that are there. I think about the Christians that are there. I read this week, uh, Paul Chitwood said in his article that Every Baptist church in the Ukraine is receiving the refugees there, and they are just, there's people from, from wall to wall living inside those churches, trying to find warmth, trying to find food, trying to find shelter, trying to find food, and so forth. Just the necessities of living life. And, and I think about what have I given? What have I sacrificed for, for the gospel? Probably not much compared to these folks. Verse 11, this is a very sad note. His head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came, and they took away the body and buried it, and they went and they told it to Jesus. This passage, as it moves from tragedy to grief to what do we do now, amazes me. In that at this point, what do we do now? The disciples went and reported it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus is an old gospel song that we sing, sing down home. Tell it to Jesus. He's a friend that's well known. He knows how to deal with grief. He knows how to deal with tragedy. He knows how to deal with sin. He knows how to deal with the evil of this world. They went and reported it to Jesus. And I think there are times in our life when we don't know what to do, we don't have the answers, the grief is too much to bear, the tragedy is more than we can comprehend. And that's why I said earlier, we need to limit our exposure to the casualties of war for a period during the day. And that's not to be crass, that's to help you to protect yourself uh, because uh, we need to spend more time praying for and helping out than we do saying, oh my, isn't this awful. I hope you understand why I'm saying that. But they turned to Jesus. Now the next verse has really caught my attention for the last two or three weeks. I've been so tempted to preach this sermon based on the next couple of verses. 
Now, when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded space, to, to a secluded place by himself. There's something about our Lord here that stands out in my mind profoundly. He was God. He had the power to create the universe in which we live. And yet, God chose to come into this world of evil and suffering and tragedy and horror and deprivation and debauchery. Uh, debauchery. Um, and yet, He came to fulfill the Father's will. And the Father's will was that through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, this creation and this awful world in which we live in would receive the very kingdom of God that's coming when Christ returns and there will be a new heaven and a new earth and all that evil and all the awful in the world will be dead when that day comes. Man, that just stirs my heart to hope and joy I can live another day. I can cope with what I'm going through knowing that it won't want all, this world won't always be like it is right now. There's a new world coming. But Jesus went to this secluded, this secluded place by himself. What do you think he was doing? What was he doing? Got in the boat, got out there all by himself. What was he doing? We'll talk about that in a minute. Well, one, I think he was grieving. Grieving because of John. He didn't just lose a good friend. That same fate was going to fall upon him as well. He was going to die on a cross. And Jesus, in his humanity, is struggling with that. And his, his divinity, he knows God the Father is going to raise him from the dead. And then thirdly, when the people heard about this, they followed him on foot from the cities. Jesus is going to be called on to come out of the isolation period and move in toward people and invest himself in other people when he is not quite finished grieving about John. And that's what grief calls us to do. It challenges us to the new day in which we live without the beloved that we have lost. When the people heard this, they followed him on foot from the cities and he went ashore, and he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them, and he healed their sick. Three takeaways I want to share with you today about this passage of Scripture. Number one, to grow in courage, and to do as Jesus did, and to be a faithful follower of Christ, we need to live righteously no matter the consequences. If you're not going to choose the right, you'll never grow in courage. Let me say that again. If you don't choose the right to do the right, to obey the Lord, do what is godly, do what glorifies Jesus Christ, if you don't make that choice, then you will not grow in courage. But when you make that choice, you will grow in courage. Not because you are confident about yourself, but because that as you face this fearful moment of doing the right thing for the right reasons at the right time, you'll begin to realize just how frail you really are and how much grace of God you really need. 
and how awesome God is to supply that grace to do the right thing. The right thing when others don't agree. The right thing when others, uh, you, you, you know, I'm, I'm risking my friendship with other people because I'm doing the right thing. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. John was persecuted for righteousness sake. What's the reward? What's the reward of doing the right thing? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wow. We get all that God gave Jesus when we do right. When we choose to do the right thing. I want to share with you at least two rewards of living godly and doing what's right and growing as a result of this. One's called holy boldness. Holy boldness. John the Baptist represented all that holy boldness meant. Could you go to the king that had the power to cut your head off and say, you've made a bad choice. You should not be sleeping with this man's wife. You know, we learned in Sunday school today that love confronts. Uh, we talked about um, Judas in the, in the Bible. We, anybody got a kid named Judas in here? Anybody got a dog named Judas? <laughs> I've heard of dogs named Judas, but never heard of a person named Judas. And Judas betrayed Jesus, and Jesus handed him that bread in the Lord's Supper there and uh, confronted Judas and said, Now, go do what you plan to do. That was to betray Jesus to the Pharisees. Jesus confronted Judas, and right after he confronted Jesus, he told the disciples, um, Greater love has no man than this, that he give his life for a friend, and I've loved you, and I command you to love each other. The love of God isn't always warm-feeling affection. Sometimes it's speaking the truth in love. And that's what John did. I don't think he was a hellfire and brimstone preacher talking to Herodias. I think he might have just said, because you see, Herodias, and John, Herodias liked to call John in, you know, when the other people weren't around and say, let's have a talk. They'd have tea together or whatever they drank. They had conversations. But he spoke the truth in love. And it takes a holy boldness to speak the truth in love. And when you grow in confidence doing the right thing, you can speak the truth in love. The good news is the purposes of God are not determined by the Herods of the world. The powers that threaten you do not determine the course of this world nor your future. The powers of this world are governed by a sovereign God. And if he speaks truth, I'm on his side. I want to be on God's side because God wins. Some of you here today are serving the Lord. Even when your family and your friends are not or discourage you. I want to applaud you for your holy boldness. A second reward of living righteously is called heartfelt peace. And that's what God's for. What's God doing in Ukraine? He is for peace and He is for praise. God's always for peace. God is always for praise. Because that's our purpose in this world, is to praise Him and the peace that comes when we praise Him 
is beyond comprehension and it guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, according to the scripture. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you, but I give you my peace. That's when our soul, our mind, literally our physical body are in harmony with Christ's peace. It literally surpasses understanding. Live righteously, no matter the consequences. When you choose to do what's right, you've chosen God's side. God's power is working through you. You will be okay. God will take care of you, and you will grow in courage. Number two, how to grow in confident courage. Grieve well when you've loved deeply. One of the hardest periods of our life, and I say our, I mean Linda and I's together, has been living through our own experiences of grief. Her father passed away with cancer when she was 16. My mother died of, of cirrhosis of the liver when she was 16. We have that as a common grief in our family. Uh, we've lost a lot of family members, and uh, we've lost our son as well. And we have come to learn that it is good to lean into with the courage of the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to lean into chapters of grief. We all go through chapters of grief. And Jesus had a deep, deep chapter of grief because I don't know that anybody except maybe his mother Mary meant more to him than his friend John the Baptist. And when Jesus heard it, the Bible says he withdrew by himself in a boat to a lonely place. What was Jesus doing? He might be doing what we need to be doing when we, deep, when we grieve deeply. And that's called soul care. But when I ask you to pause for only an hour of exposing yourself to the horrors of the Ukraine, you're doing soul care. You're, you're taking care of yourself a little bit so you can live to serve and to grow and to be who you are another day and not be conquered by the tragedy and not to be conquered by, by the grief. Soul care is when you let someone else minister to you. Soul care is when you let somebody else minister to you. What was Jesus doing in that boat when he got by himself? Who is he talking to? Any idea? He's by himself. Who would he have talked to? He's talking to the Father. And there comes time in your life when you walk through grief chapters and seasons of your life that it's just you and the Father, just you and God. Let Him love you. Let Him minister to your heart. Um, however you feel about God in your chapters of life, just let Him love you. Say to yourself, Jesus, you love me and I love you. Jesus, you love me and I love you. Jesus, you love me, and I love you. You see, grief is not just something we step through and then move on with our life. Grief is something we carry the rest of our life. We have to figure out a way to carry it in our pocket or our purse. And grief needs time and grief needs space. Grief will not be rushed. 
And if you have a friend that says, get over it, they're not your friend anymore. Get new friends. If, you're, if you have a friend that's trying to figure out what stage of grief you're in, find a new friend. Nobody knows what the stages of grief really are. Grief needs time and grief needs a space, a place in our life where we can um, experience the grace of God and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And so we, we move on, we move forward, but never without a limp. You remember when Jacob wrestled with God? When he got through wrestling with God the next day, he said, God, give me a blessing. God did, but God gave him a little limp in his hip. And Jacob walked with a limp after he dealt with the Lord. And, uh, you know, we walk with a limp too in our family. Uh, we're not who we used to be, but we move on to the future. And uh, I've shared this with you before, and I'll say it again. Embrace the grief. You know, Jesus didn't just say, well, John died. Well, I'm sorry for your loss. That's not what he said. John died. Well, he was just the wrong place at the wrong time. That's not what he said. John died. Well, there's a bouquet in heaven that's now fulfilled. It's, you know. John died. Well, he's in a better place now. No. <laughs> and I hope y'all don't say those things to other people. That really doesn't help. That really doesn't help. John died. I'm so sorry. We'll talk to the Lord about that. We'll walk together in grief. We won't get over it, but we will move forward. And God's going to take care of John, and God's going to take care of us. We move through the holidays without our, without our loved one. We go past birthdays. Uh, we note the special days and family rituals like Thanksgiving and Christmas. And there's still an empty seat at the table. Grieving has a way, if we embrace it, to push us a little forward into the future that God has prepared for us. And the good thing about grieving well is when you embrace the grief, you'll be embraced by the grace of God. And that's, I think that's what gave Jesus the ability to do the third thing in this passage of Scripture. After he spent time with the Father, he came back to the crowd. And people were there needing him. There were people there who needed his help. And what we've learned from the book of Corinthians in the scriptures is, those of us who have experienced grief deeply have a ministry now. And it's to comfort others with the same comfort that we have been comforted through the Holy Spirit of the presence of the Holy Father our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So number three, reach out to help somebody else. The best thing you can do in dealing with grief and going forward is touch another person's life like Jesus did here in this passage of Scripture. Give something of yourself to bring hope to others. And while you may not be uh, strong about doing that or courageous about doing that, just make yourself available to help someone else. And when you do that, you will grow encouraged to deal with the grief and be embraced by the grace of God. Well, I know this was a very somber passage, sobering passage of Scripture, but I pray that it's helped because this is where we all live. This is where we all live. We live in a world of tragedy. 
We live in a world of grief. And we live in a world of need. And God's calling on us to be courageous. Courageous so that we will live a godly life no matter the consequences. Courageous so that we will grieve deeply and grieve well. And courageous so we will then reach out and touch somebody else's life. Minister to someone. And not be so uh, imploded, but to be open and available to love others. Will you bow with me as we pray? Our Father and our God, we thank you for the scripture that takes us to places that are hard to deal with in life. And when we get there, we find out there's hope. Uh, there's a, a, a pearl of great price discovered out in the open field. And we find that's the most valuable thing in the world. Your love and your mercy, your goodness, your compassion. The future and the hope that you bring to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the second coming of Jesus. Now, Father, it's time for us to make decisions here today. And I pray that there'll be somebody here that will give their life to Christ. They'll come during this song and we're going to sing. I pray that if someone wants to unite with our church from a sister church, we pray that they'll come. Perhaps, Lord, there are other decisions we need to make just singing, our, singing the song and standing right where we are. That we're going to take a step of courage to do the right thing, to grieve well, and to reach out to someone else in hope. Because, Lord, we all need courage. Not self-manufactured, but spiritual courage, heavenly courage, supernatural courage. Because, Lord, we want to we receive the reward of the kingdom of God and live in that kingdom every day. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship service of the Ekron Baptist Church. You, too, can accept the eternal life offered by Jesus Christ. First, admit that you are a sinner. Then believe that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and ask him to come into your heart and change your life. Then confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you've made this decision today, write to us at the Ekron Baptist Church, 2775 Hayesville Road, Ekron, Kentucky, 40117. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of our growing family with programs and Bible studies for all ages. Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for morning worship from the Ekron Baptist Church. Until that time, may God bless.